the gospel according to John is what we're on today. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so you can find it in your Bibles. You can go ahead and turn there. Uh, let me give you a quick flyby on it because it's amazing. And there, it is my favorite gospel. It's quite possibly, and I say this all the time, I will at least say it's my favorite gospel. And it has some of my most favorite verses. It has one of my, my Mako, my wife calls it my boss verse. So <laughs> the verse that I kind of, that really changed my life. I'll get, it, I'll get to that in a second. Um, but John is my favorite because John is the most personal. So there's four gospels, four, you know, retelling of Jesus' story. And if, if you ever read the gospels and you're like, wait a minute, I'm confused. I, you know, just, I don't understand what's going on. Why, why, why are there four different stories of Jesus' life? Well, it's from four different perspectives. And it was, you know, it's told in history. So in some of these stories, they were told, in our case today, maybe, you know, 60 years after the case. And so it's divine scripture, yet it's still filtered through human experience. But that's okay. But what we really need to understand about the Gospels, it's the four perspectives and the four audiences that each Gospel was written to. So Matthew, Matthew and Mark are probably the oldest. Most likely it's Mark, it's debatable, no one, under, no one knows for sure. Uh, but Matthew is written to a Jewish audience to, in a sense, prove that Jesus is Messiah, that he is, he is, he is the Jewish king. He is the anointed one. And so Matthew, in a sense, lays out the case for it. That's why Matthew starts off with the genealogies. Right? Oh, genealogies. And Luke does the same thing. But Luke's, his approach was, Luke was a Gentile. He was a doctor. And so his approach is to say, no, yeah, Jesus is God. He's, he's he is the Savior, but he's also man. So Luke goes after the humanity of Jesus. And he's also very detail-oriented, if you're that kind of person. Read Luke. But he, too, has genealogies. Starts it off with that. It's like, what? Okay. So he just has to prove that Jesus is, is, is in the lineage of Adam and, and Mary. Is, it's all complicated. You know, does anybody like genealogies? There's a couple of you. Okay. All right. Ancestry.com, there you go. Um, Mark hits the ground running. Mark is, he is the, he shows us that Jesus is the servant. So it's all about business with Mark. It's all about what Jesus did to serve, the sacrifice. Uh, and then each, if you come from a traditional church, each is symbolized by a different uh, figure. So Matthew is the symbol of the Lion of Judah. Because he is the king, right? Lion, the Lion King. You know, you ever have to watch that if you have kids? So the lion. Uh, Mark, the servant, is symbolized by the, the ox or the bull, the beast of burden, the animal that gets sacrificed. Luke, to the audience that Jesus, the humanity of Jesus, is symbolized by a man. And... My favorite, John, is symbolized by an eagle because, in my opinion, John soars. It, is, it focuses 
on who Jesus is, the divinity of Jesus, this otherworldliness of Jesus that's, in a sense, it's a big, giant mystery. We get into the person, the, the really intimate connections that, that, that Jesus, that God in the flesh has with his creation. And although, you know, uh, Luke and Matthew, they start off with genealogies. The reason why I love John is because John starts off with poetry. So would you like to read some poetry this morning? All right, good. Gear your mind up that way. That's what this is. It is meant for your enjoyment. It's meant for your pleasure. If you like poetry, you'll like it. Anyway, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Kind of flows. This is a, he's, he's directly connecting this to Genesis 1. John, when John wrote this, uh, he was probably an old man. We don't know for sure, but he was probably an old man, and, and we think that you know, he was in Ephesus, might have been 80, close to 90 when he wrote this. But when he was with Jesus, he was probably 16, 20 at the most. And so now he's recalling who Jesus was in this age. So he's like remembering all the really important stuff. And he says, in the beginning was the word. And so if you don't know this, underline this in your Bible and write logos above it or below it because this is where it gets complicated because Jesus is the word in the beginning you can even replace word with Jesus if you want you can write it in your Bibles it's okay just cross it out I do it all the time if I don't like something in here I cross it out I don't like that what Thomas Jefferson took a razor and cut out things that he didn't like Founding Father. All right. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was God in the beginning. Does that make sense? Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It cannot perceive it. It doesn't get it. That's really how it comes across. It does not understood it, but it can't perceive it. So, I mean, this is hard. Like, have you ever ever been in darkness? Have you ever been in a dark place? And you can't see your answer when it's standing right in front of you? You can't see that the hope that you have because you're in a dark place? There's hope. But this is the situation that we're in. We cannot perceive it. We can't understand it. There came a man who was sent by God. His name was John. This is John the Baptist, not John the beloved of Jesus. This is a different John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men may believe. This is the whole purpose of the book, by the way. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. 
The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though, and, through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So the word, logos, Jesus, made the world, and he made the people in the world, yet his own creation does not recognize him or perceive him or understand him for who he is. He came in to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That's referring to the Jewish people. Yet to all who received him, to all those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We don't have time to get into Nicodemus, but born again. Born of flesh and born of spirit. Sometimes people read um, John and they get a little Gnostic on it because Jesus says uh, uh, the spirit is everything, the flesh accounts for nothing. Um, and we understand what he's saying. In the context, what he's saying is you have to have you have to have the spirit of the living God inside of you, inside of your flesh. Because if it is not there, you will just act out in your natural behavior. And your natural behavior, your natural man, natural woman, natural person, well, that ain't too good. That's not that good at all. I don't, I don't want to beat you up, but hopefully you get the idea. Now, Jesus actually loves your physical body. So there's this notion that's in Christianity. It's seeped in through this uh, Gnostic uh, mystery, mystery gospel stuff that says, and, and Western thought, Platon, Platonism, like, you know, there's a difference between the flesh and the spirit, material and immaterial. And so everything that is material is evil, and everything that is spiritual is good, and that is a big giant lie from the devil, because God loves his creation, his material creation. He loves your physical bodies, and if he didn't, he wouldn't have created you this way. We've all been little wispy spirits. No, he, the body, the material is good. Even money is good. It's just the love of money that's bad. And this is why Jesus loves your body, because he says this. The Word became flesh. Logos, Jesus. I don't know how this all works, but he became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and the only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, if, you have a, if you have a King James version, it might say, uh, and the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. Does anybody's Bible say that? Dwelt among us. In the Greek it says tabernacled among us, which is kind of, I, I think that, that to me that's interesting because the tabernacle that portable tent shrine that we learned about in Exodus, this thing that Moses made, and he, he, he constructed it, 
he had a vision for this tent. I don't know, this is easy up, the housed God. <laughs> and the very first person that the Bible says was filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe with the exception of Adam and Eve, Adam gets the Ruach of God breathed into him, but the, only other, the next person that gets the Holy Spirit in them is one of the artists that designed and decorated the tabernacle. That's interesting. Somebody that creates is the first person that filled with the Holy Spirit. But God instructed Moses to build this portable tent shrine so that he could dwell in our midst among us. Unfortunately, in the Old Testament, God just couldn't necessarily hang out with everybody because everybody would just evaporate. And so he had to do some, I don't know, I don't understand it all, but he had to do some, this special thing, this, this tabernacle, this presence of God, the holy of holies. And you had to progress step by step by step in entering into the holy of holies. It's a little complicated. Only the priest could go in. Once a year, he had to tie a bell around his ankle. And they tied another uh, rope to his other ankle. And so he'd go in and he'd minister to the Lord in the holies of holies, shaking the bell. And if, it, if, it, if you didn't hear the bell ringing, that means he had to drag the priest out. <laughs> yeah, it's because God killed him. Or because he couldn't handle God's, the glory of God's presence. That's how intense this thing is. And what John is telling us is that Jesus, that amount of glory that could just wipe us out with a look, is now dwelling among us. That much power, that much glory. Right? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hosanna on the highest. Tabernacled among us. And he left us with something better. <laughs> Holy Spirit. He left us with something better because Jesus, he can only, uh, the way it all, I don't understand. I don't know how it all works. But supposedly Jesus can only, he says he's like us. He has a physical body. He's got the humanity in form. He can only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere at the same time, through all time. He is not bound by anything, and He can be in your circumstances. He can get into your business, and He can mess up your life. So, let's look at Jesus messing with us. Because He does, right? Let me hit this real quick. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Big theme, grace and truth. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So it's important to get. Jesus, that's what Jesus came. Uh, John the Baptist, his predecessor, is the one that laid the foundations, the one that, that said everybody needs to repent. John the Baptist had a very specific message. And that was repent, for the kingdom of God is near. That was his main thing. That was his party line. That was the talking point, right? 
Now, Jesus, too, talks about repentance, but his main message was the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, Jesus wants us to turn our ways. He wants us to repent, change the way that we think. But where John says, you guys need to straighten up, Jesus says, you guys need to look up here. You guys need to see something greater. You need to see the kingdom of heaven. You need to see it here. It is here. It is now. I am in front of you. The kingdom of heaven is here, encountering you. John says, I baptize with water, but among you stands somebody that I can't even uh, untie his sandals. And although I baptize with water, he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. What in the world does that mean? I think I have an idea. But let's just look how Jesus gets into our stuff and how he messes with us. Uh, John is cool. The reason why I believe that John... There's, there's like higher critics. There's just like these really annoying people that are too bored and they maybe spend too much time studying. The, I shouldn't, that's awful to say, isn't it? I, should, I repent of that. I shouldn't say that. But there's some people, there's scholars that believe that John did not write this book and that John did not re- write Revelation and that John did not write 1 John and 2 John. Uh, so I have the traditional view that John wrote it all. One of the reasons why I believe it is because John at the, big, at the end of the book and a couple other uh, instances says that Jesus performed a lot of miracles. In fact, he performed so many miracles that we couldn't write about them. We don't have enough books to contain all the miracles that Jesus performed. So John says that. And he says, you know, Jesus came in and he rose this person from the dead, and he did a lot of other miracles, and I just don't have time to talk about it. The fascinating thing about the Gospel of John is that he experienced, this young man experienced all of these miracles. They, They got branded into his consciousness, but he only focuses on seven signs. If you've been following along, there's something about numbers. There's sevens and threes and twelves. Jesus had twelve disciples, seven days of creation. So there's seven signs that he talks about. Uh, in John, there's also the great I am statements. I am the, I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. Uh, before, before Abraham was, I am. So there's, and there's, there's seven statements. There might have been more. But John says, I'm going to put it to seven. So you get to see the mind of the author. You see the systematic uh, uh, composition of this. And it feels a lot like Revelation. Somebody that's concerned about numbers and not just writing letters. Does that make sense? There's a lot of thought that went into this. That's why he starts off with poetry and not genealogies. All right, here's the first miracle. Again, there's seven of them. He names this one, and he names number two. Number two, he raises some kid from the dead. Chapter two. On the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman... Why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not come. Thus saith the Lord. 
Mary full well knows who Jesus is. She full well knows that he is God in the flesh, that, that he is Logos, that he is the Word, that he is the one that created her and the earth and humanity and the galaxies. She knows the power of this individual. And yet, she says, make some wine, son. <laughs> and, he does, and she doesn't even say it with words. She says it with nonverbal communication. Because, right? She, he, Jesus gets the mom look. And, and, it, and she says, her mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So again, it's the nonverbal communication, right? Woman, my time has not come. And she's like, yes, it has. Look into my eyes. You will do this for me. I gave birth to you in a manger with stinky animals. And I have kept it a secret for 32 years. And I have put up with ridicule and embarrassment and taboo of being, you know, uh, having a child out of wedlock. I've put up with all of this stuff. And I want my miracle now. I am calling on my favor now. And what I want is I want this party to be fun. <laughs> Crazy, isn't it? All right. Nearby stood uh, six stone water jugs. Uh, the master of the party and the banquet says, hey, what's... Jesus turns the water into wine. You know the story. Um, all right. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine, the first and the, the cheaper wine, after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. And he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So before they weren't quite sure. Before they were just interested in the cool guy. They had some interesting things to say. But Jesus decides to reveal his glory to his disciples by making wine. I don't understand this. I really don't. Like, if I was preaching this message to my 16-year-old self, I would be in complete denial. I would be thinking to myself, well, he didn't make wine. He just made grape juice. Because the reality of this story is, is that they had already drank in all the wine, the barrelfuls of wine, of the good stuff. And the idea is, when you're drinking too much... You're too drunk to understand that you're drinking cheap wine. Do you see what he's doing? Do you see why this is messing with me? Because Jesus is providing more alcohol for drunk people. And that messes with me. Like that messes with my theology. That messes with my moral Christianity. Why would Jesus do that? Well, one's because mom said so. Two, it's the nature of his spirit. Now, I'm not promoting drunkenness. I am promoting that God wants to fill us with inexpressible joy. 
and that it is always the best for us. I believe that this story is actually highlighting communion. This story is highlighting the fact that Jesus' blood is, it should be intoxicating to us. Now, we're going to do chapter 6, uh, communion, on Friday. And that's another one where Jesus is just messing with us. This messes with me. It just, it, I've, been to, I've been to weddings where people get drunk, and it bothers me. Right? Because marriage is a sacrament. It's a holy union between a male and a man and a wife, and, it, and it's sacred. So, like... I just, I would have a major problem with this. I do have a major problem with this. But Jesus, let's just, just put it into the, 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 let's just put it into an allegory. Because I think that's what it's meant to be. I'm not saying don't, you know, don't go drinking at your wedding. But just, Jesus wants to fill us up. He wants to, to baptize us in, in the Spirit. John came to baptize us in water, in material. Jesus became, came to baptize us in the Spirit. John also says that Jesus came, we say, we say this all the time here, Jesus came so that we may experience life and life to the full. The, the best of all possible situations that you could possibly live in. That's prosperity. You're the, the best for your life, the biggest blessing, the biggest favor, that's prosperity. And it might not be what you think that it is. Prosperity for you might just be a healthy body and peace and stability in your home, knowing that you will be taken care of, knowing that you have the peace of God that transcends understanding where you can be generous of soul and of skills. Maybe that's prosperity to you. I don't know. What he does not want for his children, because God is a good God who pours out and he lavishes on good gifts, what he does not want is poverty of spirit for his children. That's why he brings jugs and jugs of wine to a party. Did you see how lavish he is? how extravagant he is with his love. All right. This is uh, chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the great day of the feast... Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, Is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, streams of living water will flow up from within him. Now by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. 
Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given. Since Jesus had not been glorified, he had not been lifted up, he had not left the planet. All right, so let's just talk about this. Let's just talk about this living water, the streams of living water. You see, we are geared for transcendent experience. I believe that's our, our natural inclination, meaning that when you want to, all right, when you want to, uh, be careful, um, <laughs> all right, I'll say it this way, this is, this is safe, I'm not going to get in trouble. When you want to experience Disneyland, you go to Disneyland. Right? When you want to experience the presence of God, you go to church. Right? When you want to have an encounter with God, and I preach this, and this is, this is legitimate, I'm not like redoing what I believe, but I believe we get the option of both. When you want to experience God and you want you pray out to him and you call out to him. You say, I don't know, but I do this, maybe you don't do this, but you say, God, come down from heaven and save me. Have you ever prayed that prayer like that? Or like Jesus' prayer? Uh, you know, thy will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven, God. Whatever is going on in heaven, bring it down here to earth. Let's open up heaven so you can come down and meet with me. Do you ever feel like this? Yeah. It, it's actually, I think it's, it's still legitimate, it's still legal, but it's still Old Testament theology. This external experience, this transcendent experience where, where God comes down to heaven and, and, and encounters you. Because what Jesus is saying, what John, I believe, is saying, he is saying uh, that baptism is external. And Jesus is coming to baptize us with the Spirit. And when you're baptized with the Spirit, I'll just, when you accept Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior, it has nothing to do with your theology. You can be Protestant, you could be Baptist, you could be Presbyterian. doesn't matter. Once you stepped across the line of faith and you do what the Gospel of John says and you believe in the one that he has sent and that he takes up tabernacle inside of you, and so I think, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I think you can experience God externally. Angel walks in the room, you're going to have an experience. You will have an experience. Angel walks in the room. It'll wreck your life. Change your perspective on things. It's still Old Testament revelation, even though it's valid. No, I think what Jesus wants, because Jesus says it this way. He says, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is in front of you. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And then he pushes it even further, and he tells us exactly what's going on. He says, the kingdom of heaven is inside of you. So, God, I need you to come down and help me. And God is saying, 
I need you to let me bubble up from within. Streams of living water will flow from within you, those who have believed. He is inside. You are made in his image. You have his mark on you. He needs to bubble up. Some of us have had the external experiences. Some of us need to have the Holy Spirit bubble up within inside of us and that, that we become the radiance of God. The light of this world. Jesus says that we are the light of the world that goes into darkness. And where we are, we shine and the darkness cannot perceive it. Some of you have dark homes right now. And you have to, you have to let Jesus bubble up. You are the, that is the water of life. Let it change you from the inside out. Let Holy Spirit begin just to do a deep work in you instead of this um, external work, right? Because you get baptized with water, it happens on the outside, but if you're baptized on the inside, well, that's power. That's transformation. That's becoming more and more like Jesus. That's stepping into his presence. Kingdom of God is within us. Isn't this cool? Isn't it different? Thank you. Yeah. So you have it all. You have what I have. You have what Pastor Larry has. You have what John had when he was 16 and leaning on Jesus' shoulder. He, wrote, he writes about um, uh, Mary getting, the, the, getting extravagant with Jesus and getting the, the oil, the nard, and pouring it all over his feet and washing it. And I don't know if this is how legitimate this is, but they say that, you know, they, you know, and they're sitting at the table. They didn't sit at the table. They lounged at the table. And so the thought is, is that since John was close and since he was young, that he was probably the only one that witnessed that. Because Jesus' feet would probably have been behind him like this. And he was probably the only one that saw it. And this is Jesus. I mean, John says that he is beloved by Jesus. You know, like if I was writing the gospel, I would say that too. Forget about Peter and James. Forget about those two guys. I'm the one that Jesus loves. I'm his favorite. Right? I think that's legitimate. You could just say, I'm, I'm Jesus' favorite today. Let's just say it. I'm Jesus' favorite. I'm his favorite. Yes. You are. All right. I really do think that we have to be okay with Jesus just messing with us. Saying, in the communion service on Friday, we're going to talk about the idea that Jesus just says stuff that's hard to believe. Jesus says, um, you have to eat my flesh and drink my, my blood. You have to, Jesus says, you have to drink my flesh and eat, drink my flesh. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And his Jewish disciples are like, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? You've got to be kidding me. Because that's like the most unkosher thing that you could possibly do, mixing your meat and your blood together. You just don't do that. And so he's like really messing with them. 
And he's messing with us. Because when we eat his flesh, which is provision, and we drink his blood, which is power, oh, and the forgiveness of sins, that is when we get life and life to the full, allowing the, the, the spirit of the Lord to bubble up within us, that, that stream of living water. God is really good. And he wants to, just to continue just to pour out his goodness on us. It's so hard when I see people addicted to alcohol because they could be addicted to the Holy Spirit. And that's what happened in Acts 2. Somebody opens up the door and they see a bunch of drunk Christians. Like, what is going on here? It's 10 in the morning. Why is everybody in ecstasy? I'm like, the Holy Spirit's here. It's on him. Isn't that weird? Why would God have us experience him in those ways? And I think that we can. I don't think that you, you need a... Jesus is enough. He doesn't need to be supplemented with something else. Like the inconsistencies that you have in your life, the weaknesses that you have in your life, the communication breakdowns that you have in your life. Now, you see, Jesus is enough. Don't seek other stuff. Like, you know, don't seek substances. All right, for us religious folk that have it together, Jesus is enough. Like, you don't have to read another... I mean, I'm all about education. You've got to learn, you've got to get this mind tuned up. But some of us, we, we, we seek external stuff to have experience with God when it's already here. You know, where's the Holy Spirit? I hear he's at that church over there. Let's go there. He is right here. I need a fresh revelation from God. Who's got the new cool teaching? I'm going to receive that. That's, he is right here. I tell you, man, whenever I'm tuned in, whenever I'm letting God love me from, you know, just feeling God's presence in, in, in my belly, oh, the gifts get turned on. The gifts get turned on. I can see in the Spirit. I pray for people, they get better. I can prophesy, churchy word. This happens naturally. That's the way that God wants to work. He wants to work in you in that way. But you have to just, he's inside of you. We need to quit working and struggling and fighting and manipulating and conjuring. I think part of the problem, and I'm, I'm probably guilty of this, we conjure open heaven. You know, if I just say this chant, if I just say this prayer, if I just do this thing, if I just fast, then heaven will open up. Then I'll get my reward. If I just fast enough. Yeah, the kingdom of heaven is inside. Uh, 6.26 is my boss verse. The, the, his disciples are, are blown away what Jesus is doing. He's working miracles. He just fed 5,000. And they say, what, is the, what must we do to do the work of God? What must we do to do what you do? What is, what, what's the work of God? Now, partly they're, um, they're sincere, 
But the other part is it's a trick question because Malachi says the work of God is to, I don't know, walk righteously and live an upright life and to do good. That's what it says the work of God is. And Jesus says, no, they're trying to trick him. They always try to trick Jesus. Don't try and trick Jesus. You cannot put one over on Jesus. Like your excuses just don't work with him. And he says, no, to do the work of God, you must believe in the one whom the Father has sent. Logos, the word, Jesus. You must believe. That is the hardest thing that we can do in our Christian life, is to actually believe this stuff. And once we believe, once we began to have the, un, uh, the, the mindset of Christ, once we say, yes, I do believe, I believe that God will break through. I believe that he's going to answer my prayer. I can see myself walking in into favor. I can see God lifting me up, redemption and lift out of this situation. I believe I can see. Then you're already doing the work. That's the heavy lifting. Once my belief muscle is strengthened, then I actually have the desire to pray for you guys all day long if I have to. once I believe I can serve the poor out of Jesus' heart instead of out of guilt and compulsion or to make myself feel good. Do you see the difference? See, the world serves the poor because they want to feel good. We serve the poor because in the face of a child, we see Jesus and we are ministering to Jesus. Do you see the difference? Streams of living water flow from within us. All right, if I get the band to come on up. And the ushers. So many good stories in John. I could easily do this all day long, all year long. Next week is Easter Sunday. My wife, Mako, Pastor Mako, and myself will be co-teaching it. And the reason why is because we want to reach as many people as we possibly can. And I know that my wife can reach people that I can't because she's just got a way to communicate. And so I just want to encourage you to invite your friends and your family. It's going to be an incredible Easter Sunday. It's going to be filled with grace, hope, and joy. We're going to look at the face of Jesus, and we're going to be so excited about what he did for us. He's really happy that you're here. He's really happy that that you're changing, and that you're growing, and that you're becoming more like him. You have got good news. It is the good news of the kingdom of heaven, and you have it inside of you. Let it flow out. Would you stand with me and pray? Heavenly Father, I just ask for more. God, I pray that there would just be a thirst in this church. I pray that there would just be a tenacity to just to know more about you, a tenacity just to, to drink well. So God, where there is dryness, God, I pray that you will just pour out your cup on us. 
I pray that you just fill us up in this moment, God, right here and right now. And God, I pray that you give us the courage just to give away what we've been given. God, I pray that we will be an incredible blessing to somebody this week. So fill us up, God, with your joy, with your truth, with your hope, with your life. We pray these things in your name. Amen.